Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship.
Good morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glad that you're here on this crisp fall morning. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 33rd Psalm, verses 13 through 22. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to take your hymnals this morning, open to number 526. 526, the solid rock. If you're able and willing, stand together with me as we sing. Number 526. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On the third, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. As you turn to number 528, you may be seated. 528, my faith found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. 
I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. On the third is the last. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen. Opening your scriptures today, open up to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's begin today by reading the scripture. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The apostle says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Priests who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For God said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now, Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse, verses 31 through 34. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. What's in a name? What's in a name? I want you to consider the name 
Jesus Christ. It's the name that we say most often here, right? And it ought to be. We're gathered here in His name to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a name that you can hear on the street too. More often than not, you'll hear it when someone gets excited, frustrated, or angry. And they use the Lord's name in an inappropriate way. What's in the name? You know, Christ isn't the last name. My name is David Hall. I have a last name. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christ is a title. It's a title. What's wrapped up in that title? Christ. There's another word for Christ. The Hebrew word is Mashiach, or we would say Messiah, right? Messiah, Christ, interchangeable. They mean the same thing. What's wrapped up in that title? If it's not a last name, if it's a title, we want to know what does that title point to? If, if I say Governor Wolf. You understand the meaning of that title. You know that he's the governor of Pennsylvania, and you know what's wrapped up in that. If I say President Trump, you understand, again, president is a title. You understand what information that conveys about his job and his role. That's how it is with titles. Titles give us information. What's wrapped up in the title Christ? Well, 2,000 years ago, the Jews who were alive at that time were very familiar with the title Christ. They were expecting that the Lord would send His Christ. The title means anointed. It refers back to that ancient custom, that ancient practice that the Hebrews had when they anointed a king with oil. They poured oil on his head, and this was a sign, a symbol, that God's blessing, God's favor, God's empowerment, God's calling was upon this man to lead the people. This was something that you would do for a newly appointed king. You would anoint them. The Messiah, the, the Christ, was the anointed one. And so they understood that by Messiah, by Christ, they were expecting a king, a leader, a captain of the people, a deliverer like Moses, a king like David, a warrior, a commander. These were the things they were looking for when they looked for Christ. 2,000 years ago, the Jews were on the edge of their seats in expectation that the time was now. The Christ would come. Before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there had been several false messiahs. Men who believed in themselves and caused the people around them to believe that they were Christ. Military men. Leaders. They all ended in failure. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there were other Christs who came along too. Self-styled, self-appointed leaders who tried to lead open-armed revolt against the Roman occupational government. They too ended in failure. But they certainly met the expectations of the Jewish people at the time who were looking for a king, a commander, a military leader. Son of David was a title that was used for the Christ. Son of David. They expected that the Messiah, the Christ, would be a descendant of David. This was based upon the promises that had been given through the prophets. 
But like David, he would be a king, a warrior. They were looking for that type of Christ. But they failed to look for another aspect of Christ that was given in the Old Testament scriptures as it was beautifully laid out in Isaiah chapter 53. Christ would not only be a king, the son of David, but he would also be a suffering servant of the Lord who would bear the sins of the people like a lamb led to the slaughter. The Christ would suffer and die. They, many of them missed that. They didn't expect that. Luke chapter 24, in the latter half of the chapter, we see after Christ's resurrection, before he showed himself openly to his disciples, two of them were walking along the road to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus came along and walked with them. But he hid himself from their eyes, so they couldn't understand who he was. And they were very sad and depressed as they talked along the way. He said, what are you so down about? And they related to him all of the events that had just happened in the past couple days, how Jesus, they expected that he was the Messiah, the one who would deliver Israel, but he had hung upon a cross, dead, buried. And we've heard some exciting rumors, but we don't know what to believe. And Jesus says, oh, you are so foolish. Why are you so slow of heart to believe and understand the things that were written by the prophets Don't you understand that the Messiah, the Christ, had to suffer and die and be raised from the dead before he enters into his kingdom? Why have you not read and understood, he said. And then he opened their minds and showed them in the scriptures all the things that were written concerning himself. You see, there was more wrapped up in the title Messiah than they understood or expected. The Messiah would be a suffering servant of the Lord. But there's even more. Something else that the author of Hebrews has been trying to help us understand as he tried to help those Hebrew Christians so long ago understand that there's more wrapped up in the title. Christ, not only the son of David, a warrior king, Christ, not only the suffering servant of the Lord, but that Christ himself is the Son of God. He's divine. He's not lower than the angels. He doesn't fit in somewhere above the prophets or below the kings. No, Christ is above all because he's divine. He's the Son of God. Jesus himself indicated as much in Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, where he is disputing with the Pharisees, And he asks the Pharisees a question. He says, tell me, the Christ, whose son is he? Now, the Pharisees knew the textbook answer to that question. Well, he's David's son, of course. Messiah, Christ, son of David. Jesus says, well, then how is it that in the 110th Psalm, which is a psalm that talks about the coming Christ, written by David the king, David calls him Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. How is it that David, speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls Christ his Lord? Remember the the Near Eastern way of thinking. The one who comes before is greater than all those who descend and come after. 
That's why they held Abraham in such high esteem. How is it that David's descendant, David's son, is called Lord by David? It can only imply one thing, that David's son is greater than David because he was before David. The divinity, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is explicitly stated here. Christ is divine. He is the Son of God. But then there's even more that the Apostle wants us to understand about the Christ. And he has spent seven chapters getting us to this point. That 110th Psalm that I just referenced, in the middle of that Psalm, Verse 4, there is an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You, that means Christ, you Christ, you Messiah, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's an oath that the Christ will be not only a king, the Christ will be not only a suffering servant to bear the sins of the people, The Christ is not only divine and the Son of God, but the Christ will be a priest, an eternal priest, a priest whose service for God's people will never end. It will never come to a conclusion. Christ is a priest. So what's in the name? What's wrapped up in the title Christ? A lot of things that the Jews of that day were not expecting. The second thing I want you to notice here today, as we read in chapter 8, there had been a priesthood under the old covenant of Moses. There were priests to serve at the altar and serve at the tabernacle or later on the temple. They offered sacrifices. There was a priesthood, and it was the tribe of Levi from which the priests were called. But the promise came that there would be an eternal priest. Christ would be that priest, and his priesthood would have no end. The implication here is the changing of the priesthood signals the changing of the covenant. The old covenant would pass away and make way for a new covenant. The changing of the priesthood required the changing of the covenant. I want to consider this word covenant for a moment. Most of the time, whenever we think about a covenant, we think a a modern equivalent word would be contract. There are terms, there are conditions. We think of a covenant as being a contract. But when the apostles in the New Testament spoke about this covenant, they used a different word. It has a slightly different meaning. There was a word that they could have used, that would have signaled contract, but they used a different word that indicated the idea of an arrangement. And I like this. I like it a lot. Not just because it's biblical, but because it does really help us understand what's going on here. Long ago, on Mount Sinai, when the Lord gave his covenant to the people of Israel, he was making an arrangement with them. This is the arrangement. This is the way that you will worship me. 
the Lord says. This is the way that you will approach me. At the time when the law was being given on Mount Sinai, thick clouds, darkness, thunder, lightning, voices, the people were terrified. And the Lord had instructed Moses, set up a perimeter, a boundary around the base of the mountain. Do not let the people come near the mountain to touch the mountain unless they die. You couldn't just walk up to God. God was making an arrangement. This is the way that I, being a holy, sinless, pure God, whose eyes cannot even look upon sin, this is the way that I will meet with you. Meet with you, a sinful people. This is how you will approach me. There will be a priesthood. There will be a place of meeting. There will be sacrifices. There will be ceremonies. There will be laws and ordinances. You will do it this way. And if you do it any other way, I will reject it. This is the arrangement. That was the old arrangement. But in Jesus Christ, a new arrangement has been made. And in this new arrangement, we can look back upon the old one and we can see all of these different things. As I, as I spoke to the children this morning, all of these different things that were part of the old arrangement, they were shadows on a screen, really. They were pictures that pointed the way to the realities of the new arrangement, the new covenant, the new way that God, a holy God, would Make his people holy and live with them and dwell with them and be their God and they his people. A new arrangement. The new priesthood signals the new arrangement. This new arrangement, I do want to point out, as the author of Hebrews does here in chapter 8, this new arrangement was not an unexpected thing. It didn't come out of nowhere. It was prophesied. It was predicted. The prophet Jeremiah spoke about the new arrangement, the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, I believe starting around verse 31. Jeremiah speaks about the new covenant. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived in a terrible time. He had the worst job of any prophet that's ever lived, I think, because the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, I appointed you to be a prophet before you even left your mother's womb. I have set you to be a prophet to the nations, but specifically to this nation, Israel, because my people have forsaken me. My people have turned their backs on me, and I'm bringing judgment upon them. I am judging this people because there's no faith left. There's no faithfulness left. Jeremiah was the prophet who had to prophesy destruction and impending doom, and then live in the midst of it and get to see it I think maybe you can kind of relate whenever you watch the evening news and you can see this country that I think I used to know. And it doesn't even look like America anymore, does it? It seems like everything's just crumbling all around. Jeremiah got to live that. He got to see the country he loved crumble all around him and then see a foreign invading force come into the land tear down the walls of their great city, destroy their temple, carry the people off as captives. Jeremiah saw 
horrible things. And yet in the midst of these horrors of war and judgment that Jeremiah is witnessing, that he's prophesied and now he sees it happening, Jeremiah sees beyond it. And he says, I see the Lord doing something new. The Lord is going to give you a new covenant. He's going to make a new arrangement with his people. It's not near. It's far off, but I can see it. The old covenant, the old arrangement, the people failed. God says, I'm going to bring a new arrangement, a new way in which I will deal with your sins. I will put away your sins. I will forgive your unrighteousness. I will remember it no more. I will write my laws upon your hearts, not upon tablets of stone. I will write my laws on your hearts. You will have the knowledge of the Lord within your minds. I will dwell with you. Not an attempt. I will dwell with you and be your God. And you will be my people. A new arrangement. Jeremiah prophesied this arrangement was coming. Jesus Christ declared that he was fulfilling it. On the night of our Lord's arrest, when they ate the last supper in that upper room. The Lord Jesus, having taken the bread, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat you all of it. And and then he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. The new arrangement in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ declared that Jeremiah's prophecy about the new arrangement was coming to pass right then and there. As our Lord laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins... God the Father was instituting the new arrangement, the new way that people could truly be be drawn near to God through Jesus Christ. The fact that the new covenant was promised, it shows us that the first covenant, the old covenant, was not satisfactory. Think about that. God had made an arrangement with the people at Mount Sinai. If that had been sufficient, if that had been enough, if that had been the be-all and the end-all of God's arrangement with mankind, then why did God tell Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new arrangement? The fact that God promised a new arrangement indicates that there was something that was not sufficient or satisfactory with the old arrangement That's what the writer of Hebrews talks about here in chapter 8. The old was but a shadow play. Pictures, shadows cast upon a wall of what the new would be in reality. The fulfillment of the promise, God's promise through Jeremiah that there would be a new arrangement, the fulfillment of that makes the old obsolete. The author of Hebrews here says it's growing old. It's almost ready to vanish. When the book of Hebrews was written written in the early to mid-60s A.D., indeed, it was only within a couple short years that the Roman army would lay siege to Jerusalem, the temple would be destroyed, the priesthood of the Levites would be ended. It was almost ready to vanish, even in the day that the author was writing. And indeed, it has vanished. It grew obsolete. And it was 
cast aside. The new covenant took the place that it rightly deserved as the means by which God meets with his people, dwells with his people, and we can approach him through faith in Jesus Christ, not by the blood of bulls and goats. The apostle makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is the mediator. That means the one who negotiates, the in-between, the middleman. He's the mediator of a better arrangement, a better covenant, built on better promises. And I want to consider that last phrase just briefly. How is the new arrangement built on better promises than the old? Consider, the promises of the old covenant were primarily of a temporal or physical nature. Think about the things that were promised to the people of Israel in the old covenant. There was ritual or ceremonial atonement for sin through the blood of bulls and goats, but those animals had to keep being offered to make a covering for sin. The priests had to continue offering these sacrifices day after day. There were other things that were promised through this old covenant. Length of days, increase of number, seed time and harvest, unusual peace, prosperity, and abundance. Temporal, physical things. The promises of the new covenant are primarily of an eternal and spiritual nature. A realized atonement for sin. We don't need priests to continue offering sacrifices because Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has once for all offered a sacrifice for sin that can bring us to God. He offered himself upon the cross. Eternal life, not just length of days, but eternal life. Not just the fruit of the vine and the fruit of the field, but the fruit of the Spirit who dwells within the believer. Eternal reward. Not just prosperity and abundance in this life, but riches that do not rust and corrupt, where moths do not eat, where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure in heaven. Eternal reward. And beyond all these things, Not just unusual peace and prosperity and blessing, but real, lasting peace with God. Not only in this life, but beyond. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, it says that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. He has made peace for us with God so that we can be reconciled to him. And then if you look at the social conditions of the day where you had Jews and you had Gentiles and there was like a wall in between and they didn't mix, Christ broke down that wall. And of the Jews and the Gentiles, he made a new body. He made a new body of believers and he made peace. He himself is our peace. He brings us to God. A new arrangement built on better promises. I want to continue the thought. We talked about how the old covenant had its temporal, physical promises. The new covenant has its spiritual, eternal promises. But now I want you to consider just the very nature of the arrangement. The old arrangement was a list of laws and commandments. Do this and you will live. Keep these laws and you will receive the blessings, neglect 
or break these laws. What's on the other hand? Curses. Indeed, the old arrangement had blessings and cursings. Do this and live. Break these things and die. That was the arrangement. The new arrangement is nothing like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Time fails us to turn to these passages right now, but I want to give you the sense of them. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20. The Apostle Paul says that all of God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and yes. Do you catch the significance there? Not do this and live. Don't do this and die. All of God's promises in Christ are yes, yes, amen. So be it. All of God's promises in Christ belong to you through faith in him. And it's not a contractual arrangement where you do this and God will do that. And you don't do this and God, it's not like that. The new arrangement is so far superior to the old because in Christ, all of God's promises are secured for you. His promises are yes and amen. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, the Apostle Paul talks about what the old arrangement was like. He said, even Moses points it out. He says, the one who does these things shall live. That was the old arrangement. But the new arrangement is nothing like that. The new arrangement is by faith. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all of God's promises come with that. They are yes They are amen. They are not if, then. They are not and, or. They are yes and amen to the believer in Jesus Christ. And this is truly good news. There was an old arrangement. It served to bring us to Christ. It served to point the way to Christ. By the old arrangement, we are to understand that God is holy and separate from sinners. That his eyes are too pure to even look upon sin. The old covenant, the old arrangement had its rituals, its ceremonies. All of these things were designed to show us of our need for a savior so that we could rightly approach God. All of those things pointed to the new arrangement which was promised, which had a new priesthood that was promised. Jesus Christ being our great high priest, living forever in the heavens, always living to make intercession for us, compassionate, sympathetic, able to understand, able to draw us near to God through the perfect sacrifice for our sins, which he made in his own body when he hung upon the tree. The new arrangement, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why the old covenant was obsolete. 2,000 years ago, it was getting ready to blow away in the wind. And indeed it did. The new covenant, the new arrangement is forever. There will be no end to it. This is how God dwells with his people. Through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Do you trust the great high priest?
I pray that you do. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.